0: All, and welcome back to another thrilling episode of Adventuring Academy. This is our podcast, our video podcast, where we talk about all things gaming, talk about running games, playing games, uh, and all things tabletop. It is my privilege and honor to kick the show back up into high gear here in the age of remote vodcasting with the one and only Freddie Wong. Thank
1: you so much for coming, Freddie. Yeah, man. Very. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Good to see you again. We've We've crossed paths many times in this wild and crazy world of entertainment. So as always, good to see you again, man.
0: We have uh, crossed many paths moving and shaking uh, here in La La Land here in Hollywood. You know, (laughs) uh, Freddie and I, uh, uh, it's a, pleasure to be able to chat with you again. Uh, For those of you that are seeing Freddie here for the first time, you can find his work all over. One of the founders of Rocket Jump, creator of video game high school and anime crimes division. Uh, Freddie is also a member of the actual play podcast, Dungeons and Daddies, uh, about a group of suburban dads who are flung into a world of fantasy and magic in their attempt to rescue their kids. Uh, also featuring our mutual friend Matt Arnold, who we've worked with before in the past, uh, uh, within Dungeons and Daddies, Freddie plays Glenn Close, a dad rock cover band member, uh, aka the party bard. Um, you got to be, you got to check out Dungeons and Daddies. It is an incredible comedic and also very heartfelt at times actual play. Uh, Freddie, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today.
1: Absolutely. And also again for the folks for the folks at home to be clear, this is not a BDSM podcast. The the title would suggest that at first glance, but while not explicitly so, not that's not the main focus of the show.
0: <laughs> um god, I love uh the, the the I know for sure that that disclaimer is pro forma. Got to oh, pop yeah, that yeah, out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny too because at first it was in fact an honest, genuine disclaimer because we you know, we were we were nobody. We were just starting out. We started uh, at the beginning of twenty nineteen. So when you googled it. You definitely got a very mixed range of results. Now, thankfully, there's enough like, it's been around long enough that Googling it doesn't lead you directly to the dark adult corners of the internet, but.
0: Oh, 100%. And you guys, <laughs>
1: also the fun part now
0: is Dungeons & Daddies is so I see people uh, uh, talking about Dungeons & Daddies all over the internet. You guys have such an incredible show, huge fan base. And I have to wonder if that SEO is now p- perhaps fucking with people in the opposite <laughs> way, where there's people who are like yeah. oh, I'm looking for a ball gag online? Now wait a minute, there's what is this?
1: There's definitely someone who wanted to start a full-on honest-to-god kink podcast. Who are like, damn it, damn it. <laughs> 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 we gotta come up with something else. Yeah, so um, apologies in advance to all those folks.
0: Um, so uh, Freddie, talk to me a little bit about the uh, your first experiences with tabletop. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah your first music with Tabletop, what led you to the hobby at first, and then sort of how that constellation gets us into Dungeons and Daddies?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think in high school I had, you know, there were s- several pockets of friends who were like D&D players. And I think that, like the all of my experiences up until, literally up until this podcast, so literally up until last year, has been the one where you go you order pizza, you roll your characters, you spend like four hours in a single room trying to like figure out how to fight. The pizza arrives, it's late, and then you have don't have any more sessions. That's it. And so you have one, you're like a kind of one and done. You're like, all right, well, are we going to come next? No, next week? No. Oh, uh, is that just didn't? No, not anymore. So that's been my experience like nonstop, like through high school, through college. Um, and by the way, not through any fault of my own, because a lot of people who I played with, they ended up, you know, being in part of these like larger groups that have had longer campaigns and stuff like that. It's just the mixture of, as you get older, getting increasingly adults into a room together every week to play Dungeons and Dragons is a tough sell uh, as time goes on, right? Yeah, like like I remember the first time I ever played D&D, it was at a friend's game and I was like, oh, I'll roll a monk. And and this was like 3.5, so it was like, it was one of those things where like later on, I found out that like, oh yeah, you're gonna get uh, your butthole handed to you as a monk. (laughs) without any weapons. I'm like, that's cool. Kind of like a Bruce Lee thing. And I just like died first encounter. I'm like, ah, okay.
0: Oh no.
1: Okay, okay. You know, like. <laughs> oh dude,
0: 3.5 was brutal in terms yes. of like, oh, you didn't make the secret optimal yep, choice yep, yep. that the books don't tell you to make. Well, you're dead. Why didn't you know, already know what, yeah. the, what the mandatory choices were?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, sort of The sort of 10 foot pole school of like very carefully and gingerly <laughs> playing it through, you know? Um, and, and the thing is like, I've always kind of wanted to go and I've always enjoyed the direction of taking a more humorous slant at at mm. whatever the game is, you know? And I think for the longest time that just wasn't, I think a lot of the, the world, you know, cause we're in a, a more evolved world of understanding with regards to how you can approach a tabletop game, especially a role-playing game, right? And I think that at the, prior to a lot of the other shows that you see, you know, uh, uh, online, you know, everything from, you know, critical role into, you know, even, you know, Dimension 20, the idea of like taking it in and having this sort of school setting on top of it. Prior to all of that, you were kind of held to this, this idea of like, it's a very Lord of the Rings thing. It's a very like dwarves and elves and and, and all of that. And like, that always, just from my point of view, I've always... Just, it always never quite like worked. It always kind of like, it always struck me as a little bit false because when you, w- all of our touch points for these games are these fantasy movies, right? So how do we understand, you know, the world of uh, the, the the sort of fantasy world is how is through books, it's through Lord of the Rings, it's through the movies, all that stuff. But the problem is it's a story, right? So that story means that J.R.R. Tolkien is not doing all the tiny incidental dumb shit that happens over the course <laughs> Right, like like Frodo and, and Sam aren't just like getting into rando encounters and being like, yeah, they just killed two wolves on the way. That had nothing to do with anything. It just <laughs> happened and then we move on. It's like, no, this is a story. All the moments are these big fantasy moments. But when we play these games, not every moment is supposed to be that because there's a lot of incidental stuff in between and trying to figure out what to do and all that. All the stuff that you would lose in a book. So I never struck. So I always struck. So my instinct has always been like, well, let's have fun with it. Let's joke around with it. So I remember I played a character, and it was this, and this was a homebrew system that a friend of mine, a friend of a friend was sort of doing. And like the character I did was like, okay, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic Americana thing. He's gonna be this guy who is is a master of the ancient arts of like of like you know like of these of, of of swords and like combat and the reveal as as time went on was that like oh what happened was he stumbled upon this dude's apartment who had a bunch of magazines like self defense magazines and a bunch of mall katanas and he was like these are the ancient arts to be able to swing the the nunchaku around and this sword, the samurai sword. Of course, he doesn't know it's, you know, like just a mall you know, made in China, like breaks in one hit sword, but he treats it as this like ancient weapon he's read about. And then the joke of it was that in the encounters, it would be like, yes, the sword is deadly, but I'm gonna roll every time in case it breaks because it's just a shitty sword that he's, that was from a mall of the 20th century. And it's like, nobody else thought it was funny, but I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, okay, all right, I guess, I guess we want to take it a little more seriously. So, I think as time has gone on, that approach, sort of a more humorous approach is, is sort of, I think, a lot more accepted. It's a lot more like, oh, okay, I get it. This is a different way of doing it. Whereas I think prior to a lot of the stuff stuff recently, just taking taking the piss out of it, so to speak, and just trying to be a little just irreverent wasn't really a play style that you saw a lot of, or even knew was even an option that you could do, right? I think that's so well put. And
0: it's something that I think a lot of DMs struggle with as they're getting started with their game is this idea of if you are being really precious with the tone of your setting, I think you miss what tabletop games are trying to do that like you're saying, movies are not trying to do.
1: Yeah, or, or even like what tabletop games, what the experience in its optimal form can be, right? Cause you can have it be, you know, like, a very serious Lord of the Rings adventure, right? And it absolutely can be that. But you have an option of, again, having this much more almost meta, almost like having fun with your friends, less taking a little bit less seriously approach, that's an option that you can go down, and I think for the first time it's like, okay, cool. You can. This is a path that we can go down now, and it's one that I really like exploring. You know, and it's 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 always interesting because I had a friend of mine um, in school, and his antics in the on the sort of D and D sort of front were kind of legendary. He's just, just a wild, hilarious friend of mine. His name was Logan, and he would he would go into these campaigns with another friend of mine who. Took a lot of effort in terms of like making sure that the tone and the writing and the b- backstory and all of this stuff was like really written out. Would do maps, would just really put in the work as a DM and everything that my friend Logan did was always mess with this. Like he would, he had a, you know, he had like the main big bad show up and confront the heroes in the dungeon and is gonna like, you know, lay out the whole plot for what will be, you know, many cam, you know, many sessions up ahead. And out of the out of the blue, my, you know, Logan's like, oh, I want to try and stab him through the door. And cause he didn't make the detail of like, oh yeah, you got your weapon taken away. And he managed to roll well enough. They's like, okay, well shit, I guess the guy dies. And they just was, uh, uh, well, I had all this planned, you know? And I think that that sort of, That's sort of like, oh no, I had everything planned, but what happens now is the core, can be the core and driver of a lot of fun in a tabletop setting that I think you have to embrace. You don't have to run away from it.
0: A million percent. I would also say too that, um, something that I've been bringing up a lot as well is that having a work of storytelling, whether it's a tabletop game or a movie or a TV show or whatever, have a unified tone is not mandatory. One of the things I did did recently was I watched um, uh, myself and my partner, Izzy, watched Casablanca again for the first time in a long, long time. And one of the things that's crazy about Casablanca when you go watch it, which is one of these like golden age of Hollywood epics is that movie is literally every single genre. It's a romance. There are moments of intense farcical comedy. There's like almost like suspense and horror moments. Um, uh, There's, you know, deep drama. It moves around from thing to thing. I think it's very hard. If you're gonna, sp- like, think about how many hours you spend in a D&D podcast in the same world. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Versus what you spend in a movie. A movie can be grim and dark for 90 minutes, because you're only in it for 90 minutes. Yes, 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 yes. Like, occupying one tone for 150 hours sounds, 150 hours. D and D campaign can be like hundreds of hours. Yes. Yeah. That's a night. If you never have a moment of levity in hundreds of hours, <laughs> good god, that sounds like a nightmare. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, again, and like I said, like some people, you know, right? Some people, that's what they're, that's what they're going in for. And I, again, I dig it. But I think that I, you're you're spot on with that observation in that there's been there's this I think this feeling, and i I'm, and I, I've run into this a lot in sort of my other you know sort of other dealings doing, trying to do, being creative and trying to do entertainment stuff where everyone is like so precious about tone. The idea of like, oh, the tonally, it has to be because this feels tonally inconsistent or or uneven or something, which I hate because like, I think all of, when I think about the movies that I love, I mean, like a great example for me of this is Parasite from last year, right? Which is a movie I adored. This is like, right, like on paper, you can read it as this movie of like, oh, it's about class struggle and it's this kind of horror thing. But like, but then you miss the fact that it is a hysterical movie. Like I have not seen a crowd laugh harder than like the the almost farcical slow motion of him holding, the character holding up, you know, the the, the napkin with blood on it. And he's kind of looking back at camera like with this like very sad face. And then I think one of my favorite experiences in a theater of all time was that when you saw that, everyone's cracking up in the theater and that hard cuts to the next scene where it's like, oh, because of their actions, now they're going to be you know, letting, the, letting go of this character, you know, this housekeeper character. And the, the theater I was at, I was just like hearing it, the tone, the energy go from like, oh, that's hilarious. Like, oh no, like yeah. that jump is so cool to me. And that's totally inconsistent. But I don't think that that ruins that movie at all. I think that that's what makes it work so well, is having that, having that variety and having that range.
0: A hundred percent. And I would say that like playing tabletop games is a great way, I think for people that do traditional storytelling to realize how easy it is to switch those tones. Something that someone might say is tonally inconsistent. You go like, no, that's interesting. Like the scene yeah, you're describing is yeah, interesting. It's right. like, that's very cool. You know, I think about like, classic movies, There's uh, there was an interview with Akira Kurosawa when he was talking about the order in which the samurai and Seven Samurai die. And he's like, the funny one has to die first, which means you need a funny one. Like yeah. the one who's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he's like, oh, like, and the, the main character even says like he, like, he was gonna be the one that kept our spirits high when things got bad and yeah, he was yeah, the yeah, first yeah, yeah. to go. And there's yeah. that moment where you go like, see like playing with tone in that, like if you don't have a moment of levity, how does it feel truly horrific? Because yes. it's almost like when you see movies that are like so tonally similar, uh, it be- it does become monotonous, the literal definition yeah. of monotone, right? Um, so I think that's a very cool thing. And I, especially cause Duners and Daddies is obviously has a tremendous amount of comedy in it. Dimension 20 obviously has a lot of comedy in it as well. And I think that those moments are, it's one of the most gratifying things in the world to go to these insane, absurd places mm-hmm. and then bring the stakes back.
1: And- yes, hundred percent. And I yeah. think that the, and then in doing that, you let those hardcore, you let the hardcore heartfelt moments hit harder because just by virtue of juxtaposition, it's like, Mm -hmm. is how you, I I think you can, it it, it hits in a way that I think is different. And it's something that's really gratifying to explore. That was one of the things that talking to to Matt and Will, who are, you know, two other players on on the show who I've written with and have, you know, done movie stuff with was us talking about like how we think about story and how we approach story and what we have kind of come to learn from doing this process of trying to like, kind of group collaborate on it and this sort of it's a it's a very weird form that i think is its own art form in its own right that's really worth exploring this idea of a chaotically driven uh improvisate fundamentally improvisational but at the same time adversarial like we kind of were joking that like if the joke of like if the way improv should be going is yes and right everyone's like yes and yes and but the thing is like sometimes because you have your character and you have your sort of cards that you're playing you can do no but in a way that is like, that still functions. It doesn't grind the scene to a halt. It actually continues to further. So we we joke sometimes that it's like adversarial improv in that there's a bit of a competitiveness and there's a bit of like being able to like try and dictate something. And you have to react to how other people are like, well, no, 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 my character wouldn't do this. I'm doing this now. And it's not just, oh, you have to go with it. It's like, no, no, no. I have to respect that character's boundaries too. And th- those character decisions as well. There's, there's still agency within it. It's kind of just a fun, it's just it, it's just really interesting to be able to like play in that space. and I think the end result can be so unique compared to if you're trying to lay out everything for a character in a narrative, you're trying to lay it out in a more traditionally narrative way. Uh, well, I
0: actually that leads us so perfectly into a an audience question, oh sure, yeah, uh, uh, that that we that I had that I wanted to uh, talk about because that dichotomy you're talking about is, I think one of the weirdest things about tabletop, because I taught improv for a long time. And when you're doing like the sort of classic long form improv, one of the things we used to say is avoid plot, because the rules of yes oh, and, you yeah, yeah, would yeah, yeah, say yeah. avoid plot, avoid narrative, because that is, that's a, it's not that it's always um antagonistic to the rules of comedy, but it's just that it's a
1: different master. It's not, yes. So, it, it, the dict- what it dictates may not necessarily go in a comedic direction, and that doesn't. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I absolutely feel that. Yeah, yeah.
0: A hundred percent. So that thing of like serving comedy or, or game and serving the plot of the narrative, we have a, a great question. Uh, this is from Jem Jones. Thanks, Jim. Um, Freddie, such a big fan from Story Break originally. So my question is, how does your screenwriting experience help or hinder you when role playing? Is it frustrating when the dice don't bend to your plot line? Do you try and save the cat?
1: Yeah, so that's it's you know, when I look at the sum total of everything that's happened in our game so far, and I think about the best moments from it, almost universally, those moments are when the role does not go how we hoped it would go. It's moments of chaos where they where it really turns itself on the head. And what's it's one of the interesting things about I think this tabletop thing because it almost is unsatisfying from a screenwriting point of view. If, for example, there's a screenplay and you're like, oh yeah, then this chaotic thing happens and then all this happens. It can fe- it can definitely feel like if it was written out, you'd be like, well, that's stupid. That just came out of nowhere. But because the handshake with both the audience and the plot is there's going to be a random number generator built into this, it almost becomes like, yeah, that's a little bit, it feels a little more true to life in a weird way. It feels almost more like, yeah, sometimes weird stuff in life happens like that and we it doesn't have a, it doesn't fit into a nice narrative like and here's the theme and the arc of the character as explored in this plot by plot point it's like yeah man sometimes this just out of nowhere this is going to happen and it's like now what now you got to deal with it so it turns i think when the perspective it turns it to a character moment to moment approach which is how can this character react or how can i playing this character react as honestly as i can from a moment to moment basis. And you have to kind of let go of looking more than maybe two steps ahead at any given point. Um, that's been the biggest shift. It's been looking more at character motivation. It's been looking at character reaction and trying to understand how your character would play. And in the back of your head, like way more in the back of your head than usual for us is the idea of like, okay, plot wise, it would be nice if, you know, even just like from a moment to moment basis, it would be nice if this episode ended here because that feels like a natural cliffhanger, right? Like that's the kind of stuff we're thinking about four levels deep, but forefront now, when it works the best is when you're thinking about like, okay, but right now there's something crazy is happening. How am, I, how am I gonna react to this? How am I gonna uh, approach this? And sometimes you do get to the plot point, despite that, right? You meander your way through and you do manage to hit it. And sometimes you don't, and you're in a, in a totally different place. And it's trying to pull away from the judgment call of being like, oh, it has to go here for the plot. It's like, no, 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 no. It has to go here for the character maybe, but don't worry so much about the plot. So it's been a bit of an adjustment for it.
0: I fully feel that. And it can be very intense when you realize, you know, the, the, the like you're saying, the addition of dice to these games, like why would someone come and watch a D&D actual play Versus, you know, listening to some sort of like, you know, fire sign theater, it looks like a, a radio storytelling
1: podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, or even an improv one. It's same, Even the same basic concept, but it's just doing improv, right? And I think part of it is what what you are offering when you
0: involve dice or indeed any kind of prob, non-human probability yes. generator yes. into your storytelling is there is a thrill like there would be if you went, hey, um, one of the collaborators in this show has no regard for anything human yes at all. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it has no regard for what will be, for, for your natural rhythms of storytelling. It yes. has no regard for, and there is something about that that is deeply exciting where you yeah. go, you know, it's like, oh, so one of the storytellers here is not human at all. It is a <laughs> series of plastic yeah. polyhedrons. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. This will take a shape that we cannot predict, um, and that's really gratifying. And there are moments like that that uh, that it, it 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 creates two kinds of circumstances. One where you get to see brilliant. Improvisational mm-hmm. human restoration of narrative, where the dice throw everything off the rails, and yes. you watch a moment of human brilliance as they move the story in a new direction, and they do give you that, like I guess in music, it would be like that, that like completion of the melody. They give you that some unexpected note that gets you back into a fulfilling story, or the moments where things totally derail. And, you know, I think in a similar way to when storytellers have come along and broken from tradition yeah, or trope right. and give you something
1: really new. Um, yeah, one of the things I find that really heightens more than anything else is suspense. Like, mm-hmm. because when you watch a movie, it's like, look, I, I it's like, unless I'm hearing about it from like, friends being like oh this movie has a crazy ending it's like i know what's gonna happen like i'm also at the point where i don't care about spoilers about movies anymore because i'm like yeah i get it i know they're gonna win the person who the the, the person the main characters are gonna win it's a question what's interesting is how they get there but it's like yes they're going to save the world in the end that's not a that's not a surprise to me there yes uh, 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 there's no suspense there you know be, in that way the suspense is generated in you know via other means but in this one there's in in a tabletop setting it's like Oh, here's here comes the last hit. It's like, no, they can miss this jump. This yeah. straight up, they could just miss this jump over the chasm. So then you are you actually feel that pins and needles in your dice roll. We did a um a little mini-series in the call of Cthulhu system with, you know, sort of the, the relatives of our characters, the grandparents of our characters, set in the 20s. We called at the mountains of dadness. And the call of Cthulhu system has this whole, has this whole like, you know, it, it's just it's a different system. It was a lot of fun to play in. But the whole campaign, we, were, we literally went out, we went to, uh, we got, this is you know, uh, last year, we went to Lake Arrowhead, we got a little Airbnb so we could all record in one place. We spent a whole weekend on this dang thing. It came down to like two dice rolls. And like, when we were recording it, I, we were, every single person was so tense on this. Like we didn't, couldn't even sit still. Like I remember I was just like, if, I don't know what we're gonna, like it was even the point where we're like, we don't know what is going to happen here if, 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 if these dice rolls don't turn out well. Because if they don't turn out well, what was all of this for? This is gonna be ins- I, it, We were terrified about this. And it was a terror like in a way that I've never felt watching a movie, <laughs> you know what I mean? And no, I think it translated true. to in the final product. It's like, yeah, they, there's a very real chance that these do not happen the way you hope. And just like literal fingernail biting, you know? Like that's, that's so cool. That's so crazy that these stupid little plastic dice made me feel like this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a a very fun thing too, because I love to talk about, I think one of the things that like Dungeons and Daddies and Dimension 20 definitely have in common is a focus on, again, like player dynamics, comedy, storytelling, stuff like that. But I also, I think sometimes I will see people sort of talk about the show and be like, oh, Brennan is very like, hand wavy with the rules or like rule of cool and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Rule light. And it's very interesting because I will often go like, listen, I'm certainly not a hard ass. I will like wave something, but I never want to disrespect the degree to which the dice or the system are making this different than a pure improvisational storytelling podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was like start when Dungeons and Daddies first started? What yeah. was your what was your like relationship to the rules and mechanics of the game, and especially yeah, as yeah. the podcast evolved?
1: So, so the way that this all so the way all of this started was was Anthony, our DM, Anthony Birch, who's writer on Borderlands, who's done a bunch of comic stuff. He's sort of just all all over in terms of the comedy writing sort of side of things. He and I were uh, uh, in a rental car on Father's Day. And we were just kicking around ideas. Cause it was just, it came from the observation that we're like, oh yeah, you know, it's funny. Like dad archetypes match up with fantasy archetypes. That was it. It was like, oh yeah, Bard is like a guy with a cover band, and like, oh, a, a barbarian is like a like a, those super aggro like coach dads that you see yelling at their kids at the <laughs> soccer game. Like yeah, yeah. And then the other one was like, oh yeah, and then like 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 Birkenstock hippie like you know hippie dads. He you know me being from Seattle, I had my fair share of those in terms of my friends' parents. Like yeah, it's like a druid basically, right? You like hikes. You're like communing with nature. Like that's that's a druid. That's a druid-ass like approach to life, you know? And then that so that's kind of where it all came from, which was that realization that data archetypes match up with fancy archetypes. And one of the things that was really exciting was he was when we first saw him, it we was like, I was like, I want you to DM this because I had heard a story from friends of friends who had been in a thing that he had DM'd. I think it was either the Fate System or 5E, another game where the entire thrust of their campaign. Uh, uh, uh built up to they lost all their powers. everyone had built these characters with these powers over time they lost all those powers and he and he had brought to the to the table a bag and he's like, in this bag, if you decide to go in this direction, we'll go in this direction we'll I'll open this bag if not. I'll burn this bag right now. We'll never see what happens if you decide to go this way. He gave the choice to his players. And, you know, of course, kind of knowing that's like, if you give someone a bag saying, there's something in here that you'll never see if you don't go this way, they're gonna go in that direction. And what happened was, he, you know, he built this this plot around like, they, they needed to like reclaim this orb and all this stuff. But what he was doing was he was laying in the entire groundwork was he was laying in the plot of Space Jam. So they lost their powers to the Monstars, these alien, alien race. So they need to play basketball to get their powers back. And inside this bag was like jerseys that he had made, like that looked like the ones from from the, from the movie. So all of it was just a Space Jam joke. So I'm like, the fact that you committed for months to tell a Space Jam joke for an audience of just the people there, I'm like, this is exactly the energy that like is like, I want this. So, <laughs> so and the way that he plays and the way that he approaches stuff, you know, I think it's very much in line with the kind of person I wish I had as a DM when I was, you know, in high school and college, which is somebody who tries to adapt to what is this stew of players you have in front of you and play to each of those inclinations. Right. And to have that flexibility, I think more than anything else, he's a flexible DM and the approach there in terms of the rules is one where, Coming, it's it's one where it's coming from a narratively interesting point of view. It's about like, will this be, you know, rule of cool is one thing, but I think in a way, the rule that we follow is like, will this be narratively interesting more than anything else? You know, yeah. and I think, and we're fortunate that whole group is everybody has like, is coming from, you know, screenwriting or more, more of a sort of a writing background that's kind of where we naturally align our sort of North star is sort of towards making narratively interesting decisions. You know, I saw a thing where someone said that there's like three ways people play these games, right? It's either character driven, narrative driven, or like simulation driven. People who are really into like the, you know, the, the, the the nitty gritty of how things work. There's like just the three different styles. I forget exactly what it's called. (laughs) We're definitely one where it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. What's fun. What's interesting narratively. Less about the rules. less more about the narrative. Well,
0: there's something really interesting that I wanted to holler at you yeah. about specifically, which is that it's a um, it is a wonderful thing because obviously Dungeons and Daddies is such a brilliant high concept. It's like, oh, suburban dads I can into a fantasy world. But even the first time I came across Dungeons and Daddies, like back with, the, I think like a little while ago, the first time we like worked together, yeah, yeah, I yeah. was like, okay, yes, very funny. Also, notice the hook for the adventure in there. Like these dads are going to get their kids. And that's something that I wish more DMs would do when they're designing their initial adventures is think, what is motivating your adventurers to go on this adventure? Like, it's not surprising to me that y'all are a group of screenwriters that have this narrative thing because even within the comedy, you guys like never have to wonder, wait a minute, why the hell are we going to this dungeon? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and, and you know and and by the way that puts in, it's interesting now because we you know we're now a year year and a half and change in it's like that puts definitely a end point. and that's where we're starting to march our way towards this stated goal at the beginning which is terrifying but I think if you're not terrified in a narrative as you go through it you you're too comfortable you got to be more scared of what's gonna come because you don't know what's happening right I think just as a as, as a philosophy um and part of that too also came from just the understanding that. I mean again I I've have having done starting on YouTube in 2010, having done a bunch of you know just a bunch of online stuff and being really thick into it. The understanding that like it is very hard and it's only getting harder for anybody to pay attention to you online. Period. Like that's it's difficult. And mm-hmm. you need to build in a a pitch of whatever it is you're doing that will get someone to get over that apathy of like, I don't want to watch something else. I already got the people I watch on YouTube who like, what do I care about this? I don't care about this. Right. And that was like, I think, you know, one of the things that we thought a lot about, which was like, okay, what is like the hook of it though? Like what's like, what? Who cares? Like, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of other actual play right now. You know, I know that Critical Role is out there and killing it. So it's like, why then? Why you? What are you doing that can get someone to be like, I'll check that out? Like, that's what you need to get to if you're thinking about starting anything online. And I think that a lot of that requires having like a, oh, what's going to happen kind of hook, which is, which is, I think, really important for almost anything that you do if you want to get people's eyeballs or or, or ear holes on it. That sounds weird. <laughs> Listen, Freddie, you got to get their ear holes. holes, They (laughs) have ear holes, them caverns, you got to get them on there. Hey, baby, it's all about balls and holes, talking eyes and and ears. Eyes and ears, you know what it is. That's the name of our SEO book, like how to be successful online, balls and holes.
0: (laughs) If that's not the name of this episode, something truly terrible has happened. Um, but it's really true, and I think it's also great too because I think that like you would be really hard pressed to find a funnier actual play than Dungeons and Daddies.
1: Oh, thank you, I appreciate that. Coming from coming from a, coming from a com- comedic genius on the oh, internet, shit. I very much appreciate that, man. No, uh, I'm very very
0: kind, uh, and but within that, it's one of those things where like I will point out, I'll be like, look at this uh, this thing that is. Incredibly funny people doing a high comedic concept, and what I would say is, when I hear people starting a game and going like, "Oh, we're we're not going to take it seriously," there's something I always I, that that I go, "Good," but also it can raise a red flag because I, there's a. Because there's a difference between something that is going to have a tremendous sense of humor and go forward with a lot of grace and something that is what you might call fuck around, right? Yeah. yeah. Where, where there's no, where there's maybe not a plot, there's not a reason to be doing what you're doing. And so to me Dungeons and Daddies is like the best of both worlds where it's like, no, this is inherently comedic. And also, the stakes are present from the word go, and the narrative is there is no choice but for it to move forward. Like the stakes are clear, the objective is clear, we're moving forward, and then we are like goofing off and having the best possible time and looking at those two things moving hand in hand together, uh, versus someone being like, "Okay, we're playing D and D. It's it's a goofy game." And you're starting from the word go, there's no plot hook, there's no adventure. We're just here to do bits. And you know, it's like, you need those two things hand in hand. You need plot and narrative and a desire to have
1: fun and not yeah, take yourself yeah. seriously. And, and I think both of those things push, you know, sort of push the ball forward. And you can, and like, by the way, it's like one of the things where it's like, you can get away with not having, it's just it's just about how easy you wanna make it for yourself. Right? Because it's like, you can do just comedy and goof around. You need to be at the tip top tier of funny in order for it to really play, right? Like if you're not the funniest one that someone's heard, they're not it's going they're going to bounce off of you. Whereas if you have like plot and you're maybe not the, you know, funniest thing you've ever heard, but the plot can also pull in, pull some weight too and pull you along too, right? Or the other way around if there's no levity on it, but the plot is so engrossing you have to find out what's going on. This the real page turner sort of thing, then that works too. But again, why not make it a little easier for yourself? It's already too do- life's hard enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> truly, truly. Um, I wanted to jump into another question, get some more uh, yes. questions out here. This one's from uh, either Kos or Chaos. It's K O S. Uh thanks, Chaos. Um Uh, Freddie, you've talked about sound design on D&Dads before, but your sound design takes place after the game has been played and recorded. For both Brennan and Freddie, uh, what principles are different between sound design for a non-player audience and live sound design for players at the table? Um, Interesting. So this is sort of like, a lot of DMs out there that are running their home games will use services like Sirenscape or, For me, I'll just use like a mix of like YouTube or Spotify or what. There's like a million great ambient tracks for sound design at the table. Um, uh, for Dungeons and Daddies, all of your stuff is probably the same we do for uh, for Dimension 20, which is being designed in post to create yeah. that kind of sound experience. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um,
0: uh, what is that process like going into the podcast and designing that kind of soundscape?
1: So that was something before we, you know, before we embarked on this journey, I took a like month long period where I listened to basically every actual play I could get my hands on every, just like as many weird BBC audio dramas as I could possibly find just to kind of understand what plays in this world. And the conclusion that I came to was when I look at sound design in, in this purpose, there's, there's a range that you can do, right? You can go all the way where every bit is sound designed, what it would sound like in the world. They walk into a tavern, you hear the tavern and it's playing underneath the whole time. You're hearing music, you're hearing all this stuff, or you can go none at all, right? So like, like Adventure Zone is an example of a, almost a none at all sound design. Later on, they start to do, Griffin start to get into more music cues and stuff like that. But for the most part, like they're not doing ambience. They're not doing like all the sort of stuff that you, you know, sort of sometimes see. And I realized it's like, okay, Adventure Zone absolutely works with without any sound design. Just a music cue to get you from point A to point B here and there. It's like, that's it. And it plays and it sings, it's great. So I'm like, okay. So right away, you know, it's not necessary. It's any sound that you add is a choice. It's absolutely not necessary for it to work. Um, And then one of the other things I realized in some of these actual plays, you would hear something and the characters would then go on to elaborate and describe a scene and it wouldn't quite match what you were hearing in your head. And that felt like a point, a jarring point for me where it's like they'll describe something about like, oh yeah, yeah, and so-and-so and and someone's doing this and then you hear this, but then the soundtrack isn't that. So then there was a little bit of a disconnect there too. So for me, the purpose of the sound design is sort of very clearly to do a few things. One is to get you into a general sense of the space that is seen as taking place in. And then usually when we start it, we pull it out after a certain point, we don't keep it uh, consistent underneath because a lot of the difficulty is how whenever someone describes something or something changes or a tone shifts, now you have to keep up with it. If you're going to do it at all, right? If you go in a little bit and you stick around, you have to keep up if, they instigate a fight in the bar. Now the ambience needs to be more intense and rowdy and needs to match up to it. And you're building a lot of work for yourself in that front. And you can allow a lot of that stuff to just be theater of the mind uh, for, for the audience side. The other end of it is also the difficulty of, the fact that you're describing, you're an audio only medium, you're describing what's going on, the question is always like, when does a sword hit happen? If someone says he punches them, when does that punch sound effect happen? Does it say when at the word "p" of punch, or is it I've wind up for a punch? Okay, roll for it. They roll for it, and it hits. Now that's when the sound effect happens. Right? It's like there's such a huge window. So hard sound effects, oftentimes when I when I think about that, it's either for effect, like a specific effect, or for comedic effect. Like one of the running jokes in it is that every time somebody says we do a predator high five there's just, I have the most over the top, like whoops, like sound of like a predator <laughs> high five thing that just goes <laughs> even to the point where I need to turn down because some people are like, I ju- that was a jump scare for me. But like, that's just the dumb running joke where it's like, because that's not something you're rolling for. It's like they predator high five. So every time a predator high five happens, you're going to hear that sound, right? Um, <laughs> but just dumb, right? So it's like humor, comedic effect. Um, but I think that like, when it comes to also just like, you know, at a table, ambience and tone and like mood is what you're going for. And you get the same things. And I think it's the same principle when you do it in a design sense, but you also need to make sure that it's not gonna conflict with how the scene evolves as it goes. So our option is to pull it back after a certain amount of time, that's once it's re- set. I
0: think that's really interesting too, in terms of like that, because you, the way you frame that up of like, here's a thing where the rewards for it are limited and the risks are quite high, right? Because yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, a lot of actual plays don't have this kind of heavy sound design at all. And all you do by trying to include it is create these moments where what you're doing internally can throw somebody off of what they were kind of imagining in their head. Um, yeah. because. With actual play, that kind of definitionally is what your audience already, it's a lot like improv. Like your audience is doing the set design. They're doing the costuming. They're
1: doing- And that's the strength of audio drama too. That's what I kind of figured out after listening to a bunch of these audio dramas is how much of it really works in your head in a way that just doesn't work if it was filmed. Like they always said that, um, you know, reading the interviews around Hitchhiker's Guide as they were saying like, they're like, Zafar BeebleBox having two heads is the dumbest, is the best audio joke ever because it's hilarious, this idea. Because in your head, you know exactly what that looks like. The guy with two heads, yeah. But it was also the nightmare decision for them anytime they tried to adapt it to a visual medium. Because it's like, how, how are we gonna, so in the BBC show, it looks terrible. In the movie, it doesn't quite work. You're just like, how are we supposed to do this? It works, but that's one of those effects that only works really perfectly in your head. And it's like, it's hilarious, but when you try to actually make it like visual, it's like, good luck. You know, (laughs) and and it's like, you you can take advantage of that. And I think that that's, what's kind of cool about uh, doing that, doing audio design and the limits to where, how you play it out. It's really interesting too, to talk about because I think the
0: best, when you're doing this for your home game as well, when you're trying to design something to sort of immerse your players, there often is a time to like cut out, like to just let things go back to conversation because like anything, you become used to it as a player. As you ever, and I think the best things too when you bring those music stingers Mm -hmm. in are often to direct people to an emotion or a feeling. Something is supposed to surprise, let it be surprising. You bring in a moment of swelling music to get people on the right emotional wavelength, it moves on, it goes for that. The, The only time I really, in my home games, have sustained music is occasionally for like battles where we have like a battle soundtrack yeah, going yeah. because that because that is so disambiguated or from from real life yeah
1: yeah 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 cuz you uh, cuz you're literally playing a slow-mo scene if you really break it down right like you're literally working in slow motion the whole time exactly. so like, yeah you can use it. be keeping the stakes up as we take
0: 3 hours to play out yeah. these 18 <laughs> seconds 18 right? seconds yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah music is music is so fundamentally emotional that it's that one's always tricky. And it's like anytime you want to play it, it's like it's it's tough because it has such a gravitational yanking effect on emotion because it's just inherently emotional. So it's like use sparingly, I think is is the is the key for that one a
0: hundred percent. This next question comes to us from j. t. Gud's thanks, j t. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm developing a list of cues to help PCs develop their characters and to help me build stories for them. Some ideas, why do you adventure? Where are you from? What are you proud of? What are you insecure about, uh, et cetera. Um, Do you have any idea for what to ask a PC in the character creation stage? Yeah, wh- and, and I think for Dungeons and Daddies too, like. Starting with that conversation about these dad archetypes, what was that process like as you guys were developing your characters?
1: Yeah, so that was so. What was interesting about that was it was a two-hander because when we think about narrative character design, it's basically for the most part when we're talking about film and television, uh, film mostly because that's kind of where where our specialty is you're thinking about one character and that journey and everyone else in that journey and how they support that one character. It's a very single character centric or one or two sort of at most, but that's really where you're focused on, which is why, you know, and in which case then, you know, cause the purpose of it is this plot is try to push the story forward. When we were putting this together, we kind of found ourselves going into this world where, you know, it's like, okay, this is the character and this is their arc, but then, Oh wait, I got three other people who have their characters and their arcs, which may just be in total conflict with mine now. And it's like, there was a little bit of a need to be like, oh wait, I can't just focus only on this one character. Uh, Beth, uh, who plays a stepdad, and I think the secret weapon of our podcast, because uh, of all the sort of hilarious perspective that she brings and her sense of humor to it, she's playing the stepdad And we have to think about, you know, she's taking this very interesting approach to it, and we're like, okay, how do how do we fit in there? What's our sort of dynamic? So there was a lot more conversations of like, what is our dynamic? It was almost like a lot of the conversations that we saw when we when we think about sitcoms, which is if you pair off characters, can you see this working? Like any combination, any sitcom that works, any cast that works on sitcom, you can take any combination of the characters on there and be able to tell a whole episode with just them, because their personalities interact in interesting ways. And that was one of the things that we were talking about when we were putting our characters together, which is like, okay, if, if we ever like split off and it's just my character and Ron, what's that gonna be like? Is that, is that funny? Is that interesting? Or if it's you know, so-and-so. And that's a direction, that's a way of thinking about it, I think that allows you to make sure that you have not only an interesting character because that's only part of the uh, equation. The other part of the equation is an interesting character that doesn't gel at all with the party and kind of the direction that's going becomes lab- like a, a labor to kind of keep keep in play and it starts to just, it, it, it starts to get uncomfortable because you're like, I wanna push this plot forward but eh, now, the, now the environment doesn't feel like it fits for it and it feels like I'm out of sorts. You also need to make sure that that character gels well with everyone else. So I think that that process needs to be an inherently group collaborative one with the party that you're playing with for the sort of maximum amount of fun uh, is it, something that I've found. And when, when so when it came to that, when we were looking at it, that was like the big part of it was, was us making sure that we were talking to each other and trying to figure that out. One of the things, and by the way, one of the things I found was what we found accidentally that actually ended up being this really good thing. And I recommend now that like everyone try this at least, is we do it at the very beginning. We're like, how are we gonna get people in the show? Let's do dad facts. Let's tell a funny fact about this character. It's like a little <laughs> random thing. So what happens is that lets it shape some of the improv that you'll do later on in that in that session because you're saying a thing and then now it's everyone it's on everyone's mind you put it into the ether so to speak and then now it shapes the idea of like oh I like this kind of food and then you run into this food in the camp in this in the session and then it becomes not just a funny fact about the character it becomes a thing that happens in the campaign that can enrich your character because you've already established that this is a part of a thing about them and it can help di- dictate some of those dynamics and put just a little bit of structure in terms of the random stuff that's happening. It can start to shape it in a way that we found that's really interesting. So it gets you in it, but it also gives you free inside joke material for you and your players to like be able to reference and play with later on.
0: There's a an incredible thing too with like, when you're designing these characters as well, there's a uh, something I think that's really special is like, because the question says, do you have any idea for what to SBC? Like in that character creation stage, the way you put it of like any two characters that get paired up should have something there. There almost is like when you're creating characters, I personally love, I think it's really important to character create collaboratively. If you're not yeah. physically able to do it together, that's okay. But I am not a big fan of everybody rolling up to session one with a character they made in a vacuum from
1: each yes. other. Yeah, it's, it's it's a total crapshoot, and oftentimes I think what you find more often than not is it's going to be two characters like, well, those are basically the kind of same character now. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, you, I mean, and you get married to it, and you, you know because someone's put this effort and this time into it, and if there's anything that I've learned from doing uh, this sort of tabletop stuff, it's make sure you don't get too married to anything because part of the fun is being loose and being able to go in a direction that your friends are going to steer and being open to that. and it's
0: fun also to find that constellation. And by constellation, I mean that thing of like, the stars, they they have their own brilliance, they have their own shine, but the shape they create together is the most fascinating part of what you're looking at.
1: Yeah, I I call it the Thai curry uh, (laughs) example, because here's the thing, right? The Thai food is amazing. Everyone knows, not a single person who doesn't like Thai food. The secret of Thai cooking is, they hold that you need to have all five ingredients of flavor. You can't just have something that's only sweet. You can't have you need to have spice, sweetness, sour, a little bit of bitterness, right? Like all the flavor components need to be in there to some extent. And the end result then becomes better than the sum of the parts. That's how you get there. It's the tie, it's just Thai cooking, but for characters, you gotta make sure you're you got to make sure your your campaign's like a good curry. <laughs> You saying that, I have never in my life
0: more quickly gone from doing fine to ravenously hungry. <laughs> you said that. I I literally am like oh, no. I'm gonna pull up my phone no, and just, just get, get pad- postmates
1: going on right now. <laughs> it's like my um, move. My move nowadays. <laughs> just like get postmates going. I said so I'll even do stuff where I'm like, I'll be driving back to my place and I'll be like, if I time this just right, <laughs> I will be able I will be able to walk out of my parking garage, and a guy will hand me a bag of food as I'm walking (laughs) to my apartment. Like, if I can just get this one move.
0: Oh, it's so real, it's so real.
1: Ooh, that's a good app idea. (laughs) (laughs) That Um, Uh, that is
0: so goddamn funny. Um,
1: Oh, and so by the way, we have a we have a, a video that the Rocket Jump Film School did that we did we made like five years ago then talking about screenwriting called Character Trees. So if you just look up Rocket Jump Film School Character Trees, uh, Will and Matt, who are, again are players on the on the on the on the show, walk you through kind of our process, uh, a, a process for creating a character that we found to be pretty good as a way of like as a starting point of how to think about what how to how to craft a three-dimensional character. It's Yes,
0: the the um, that's awesome. W- and what kind of stuff do you guys go into in that video in terms of like- So
1: it kind of, so we think about like the character as like, you can start from like the, the feet up, right? So it's like, all right, f- you, you think about it in terms of like feet, okay, but that's like, okay, but like, what well, what do you mean by feet? It's like, well, how do they move? Like, is there something about their physicality that you can sort of think about? And it, it's, it's just different, it's a bunch of different like points of view that you can get to. You, know, you get to the heart, what's their emotional head? Like kind of what's their intellectual outlook? And they just sort of, all the aspects that kind of go into it. And you don't need to have necessarily answers for everything, especially early on. I think it's actually important, as you said, to be collaborative and not necessarily have all the answers of this figured out because part of the joy of the character creation is the discovery of like, oh, you know what? This character is like this later on because you see and can respond to what's happening in your campaign. Like for example, Glenn, as a character, he, I, was, I started off as he was like a dad rock cover band dad because I'm like, yeah, it's like dad rock, of course. I, I knew a, a couple of friends who had, you know, like the dads with expensive, way too expensive guitars, and loved classic rock. That was in my head for the longest time until we got to a point where Glenn then had to play a concert in front of people, and we were, you know, talking to Beth and Beth's character, and it's like, well, Beth had this weird vocal thing that she can do where she can sing two notes. I'm like, oh, that's funny. We should incorporate this. And it's shifted to like, you know what's a thousand times funnier and more specific and I would have never thought, instead of just being dad rock, Glenn should be in a Christmas cover band like Mannheim steamroller. He only plays Christmas music. And then all of a sudden, it started to backfill all these details where it's like, yeah, why is Glenn not around? Yeah, because the holiday season's hardcore. He's touring, but he's only touring for part of the year. To answer this question of like, how is Glenn raising his kid? If he's a touring musician, you're like, yeah, I don't know how they, I don't know what the answer to that is. It suddenly made sense afterwards, after the fact, to be like, oh, yeah, he's gone, but he's only gone for the holiday season and that there's an arrangement there. But the rest of the year, he's around, right? Like, you have yeah. to be open to that. And I think that that allows for this such a spe- specificity and uniqueness to your character that you can't necessarily, you can get there, but it's just harder to get to if you're just on your own staring at a Google Doc trying to be like, what does my character mean and how do they think about everything, you know? I think
0: that's a really great point, point. and I'll, I'll, you know, sort of like bang my little drum that I bang you know, on, the, on the podcast all the time, which is to remind people like, and I'm very guilty of this as well. I got invited to join a campaign, I, as our viewers know. I constantly complain that I very rarely get to play, and I'm making a, I'm making a yeah. low-level character, and I have a hard time because anytime I get to make a character, I, the, the numbers, I get deep in the crunch, and I go like, oh, yeah, I could yeah. get that feat in this thing and that thing, and then I have to yeah, remember because yeah, yeah. I was like, tr- I was. Like munchkining out super hard over what the abilities and proficiencies yeah, yeah. and bonuses <laughs> would be, and um, and then I remembered like this is a character who it, within the world the DM is creating is at the beginning of their story.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And there's I think a tendency we have when we're like making an epic hero, don't make the 20th level version of your character. Yes, yeah, 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 Like make a character at the beginning of their journey. And that can be really challenging because I think there's a big desire within D&D for escapism and making your yes. super badass. But the part of the fun of D&D is getting to become a badass which will be more gratifying if you didn't start that way.
1: Yeah, Aragorn starts off not as the king of men. He starts <laughs> off as just a loser in a bar. Like he starts <laughs> off as kind of like a hobo pretty much. Like, exactly right He's kind of a shifty loser in a bar. Yeah and that's part of the fun.
0: and you if you look at like the journey of the hobbits that they have on that thing, it's like the, the like you know Merry and Pippin are like you know a foot and a half taller because of the end draw by the time they get back. but they don't start that way. you want yeah, exactly <laughs> start, you, it's like it's like that thing of um have especially if you're starting at lower level um, I think one of the best things you can do is create a character that has a kinetic, or, or that has has like a, a potential energy rather than kinetic energy. That is, yes, they're coiled yeah. up. They're ready to. They're they're going to start going because when you have that character that is like in motion as the campaign begins. Um, a, you give yourself a reason to adventure in the first place because if you make a character that is too finished, the question becomes like, well, why are they going to this old tomb? Why yeah, are why they-
1: they care? They're already the greatest swordsman in the world. Like, <laughs> it was what is he wasting his time doing that for? Exactly, yeah. Signing you're... autographs. He's <laughs> selling sword merch. Uh,
0: I think, yeah, <laughs> the, the best thing you can ask for your PCs, if you are, first of all, I think as a DM, it is okay to to tell your players like, hey, I'm going to help guide character creation a little bit, right? And yeah. then Yeah. Yeah. And then to go in and set those things up and be like, okay, what does your character not have? or what is a a want or a need kind of in classic screenwriting terms that is propelling them forward. Making a character that is unfinished at the beginning of their story and has some emotional, spiritual, deep character-based thing they are trying to address that is propelling them forward is, you know, like if we met in The Princess Bride, if we met Amigo Montoya and he was like, I actually got revenge for my dad, so I'm super good. Like, Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, exactly. You, like, no, you want them to have that thing that is propelling them forward. Uh, and, as and, th- also, and also be open to maybe not even, maybe having that change or maybe not even knowing it totally sketched out. It right? could be vague. It's okay to be vague at the beginning with some of this stuff because you need, but as long as you're open to letting your other players kind of help shape that as well, you know? I think that's also locked up in like, I don't know what the exact like goal, is it revenge, is it this? It's like, eh, it could be like, yeah, you felt wrong about it, it could be revenge, but eh, eh maybe, maybe, maybe changes, and who that's, knows?
0: That's actually a great thing too, because I think that like, like you're saying, it, sometimes a vague desire is even more helpful because it allows you to throw your lot in with the other PCs yes, and yeah. also, I think if you look at like there's also something a lot more human about a vague design. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean like like, how many we're in we're in LA. The amount of people I know whose plan was literally get to LA and then that step two, know. Truly, <laughs>
0: truly. Yeah. If you ever met someone who you're like, so what is so like so what are so what are you up to these days? And they were like, I'm trying to get vengeance for my dead father. You'd be like, whoa, oh. that's way more specific than I thought you were gonna go with. Like <laughs> yeah, most, yeah. Like most people do have that kind of uh, a little bit less, um, uh, a little bit less of an intense, and again, more like. All-purpose desire, like I want to be great at this craft that I, you know, you're making your yeah, wizard yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, I want to be a great wizard of the age. And you know, sometimes those those not more vague, all-encompassing goals are helpful because then it's like, hey, the DM throws this plot hook about plot hook about like uh, this like crazy tomb somewhere, and you go, oh there will probably be scrolls that none of my wizard buddies have. And you get to helpfully kind of like, the best thing for a PC to do is to like, write their own little plot hook to attach to the bigger
1: plot hook. Exactly, and then what's cool about that is then, what's fun is if you start to think about, you know, get out of your own shoes a little bit and then be like, okay, I definitely want to get the scrolls in this tomb, ooh but I'm gonna prioritize that over almost anything else now. So now I might, you know, I might do be doing stuff where my my friends are like, what are you doing? Why are, why are you doing this? And they can discover you're like, oh, I'm obsessed with these scrolls. I've heard about these scrolls. And now you're, you're, now I'm not necessarily abandoning my party, but now my dynamic in my party is different now. And you can, that evolves that, that gameplay and that it gives people stuff to react to and play against. Absolutely. I think we
0: have time for maybe one more question. Okay. Um, uh, This one's from Elle. Thanks, Elle. Um, As a DM, how do you get new players to feel more comfortable at the table? For example, role-playing or interacting with their party members, if they've expressed that's something they wanna do. By the way, I love y'all. Well, I love you too, Elle. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that's a a fun thing. When you guys first were starting with Dungeons and Daddies, like I think that you, Freddie, specifically have shared an experience that is really relatable to a lot of people, which is the having an interest in the game that stops and starts a lot. I know a lot of people who've had that experience. Because again, it's like finding that chemistry for that long running group is rare. And there's a million things that life will throw at you to get you to prioritize something over a weekly game, a bi-weekly game, a monthly game. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, how many people, when you guys were starting Diners and Daddies, hadn't had necessarily like
1: long time regular playing experience? Basically, Three out of four of us. So there's five of us on there. Anthony has done his fair share of DMing. Will uh, has played in larger campaigns. And he was basically the only one with that experience. Uh, Matt, uh, (laughs) hilariously, Matt, uh, his only experience of D&D was his brother would occasionally let him play, but they were playing like early. So his brother would let him play a cat. And then they would basically just send the cat in. The cat would die pretty quickly. And then he'd be, like, not allowed to play more. So it was his way of brother, like, kind of laying, allowing him to play. But then being like, all right, get out of here. Me and my friends are playing D&D. So oh, his nice. only experience was playing uh, disposable animals. Uh, Beth hilariously hates all board games. And also hates the idea of sitting in one place doing one thing for, like, an hour and a half. So I was like, but don't worry, like we gotta make sure that it's entertaining for you. So that was even though was a little bit of like a challenge to be like, all right, how can we make this interesting for somebody who has never touched any of this stuff and even hates board games, right? Like how can you make this interesting in a way that you know that, that that you can wrap your head around? And I think a lot of it just came down to, part of it is also making sure that you work just also just outside the game too, right? As a social group. Is this a group of people you go see a movie with and would sit around and talk about and afterwards and get food? I would hope so because if you're asking people to spend time together, they need to be people that will spend time together. That I think is a big part of comfort because in those environments and that's, you you build that level of trust, folks who are a little less inclined to do zany character voices and the kind of act and sort of do that thing are more likely, again, you have to give them time to sort of get comfortable with it. But if it's a bunch of strangers they wouldn't hang out with anyway, that's gonna be tough. You know, like it's gonna be harder.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very real thing. We got a lot of questions for Adventuring Academy about what to do with like problem players or players that are like not gelling with your group. And it, often the answer to that is not a gaming-based question. It's a, Correct. it's a, it's a, it's a social-based question, which is like if there is someone who routinely has a different value set from you and your other players, it's the same situation as if you guys were going to see movies and there was a person like Roommates, you know, it's like that has to that there's not a D and D solution to that issue. And it doesn't mean that you have to despise that person, but as in everything in life, you're allowed to say, like, hey, it seems that we're at cross purposes here. Like maybe we should amicably part ways because it doesn't seem like you're necessarily that we don't have the same goals here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And I think you know, and that's that's always hilarious to me because it's like you're is that advice often is difficult to follow because it's like, well, you're telling me that we got to break up with this dude. I don't even want to call Domino's in case a human being answers <gasps> the phone. You think I'm <laughs> equipped to deal with that level of human confrontation? I'm using an app to get pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's a raw it's a raw conversation
0: it's, for yeah, sure. It to, is, it's tough. To be like broken up with over here, especially because the, I think the the absurdity of fantasy realms comes in because then you have to have that weird <laughs> thing.
1: A oh, word I'm not good enough for, the <laughs> <laughs> and especially I'm not good enough to find the cloak of whatever, huh? Okay, whatever. And especially with those uh, weird
0: things, I remember one time being in a group and having a very heartfelt conversation because myself and a member of the party were, just to be clear, breaking up in real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We oh. And we had this moment, this very tense, somber moment. There was a lot of feelings being felt. And we looked at each other and then we were both like, honestly, it's not fair to, you know, so-and-so hero of the realm to be affected by our real life. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, she has worked too hard as, as, like, to, as, as a hero of the realm and come too far. And we both had this moment where this fic, we were like, we both felt bad about this fictional character's journey being impacted by just our incompatibility. <laughs> we're still friends to this day, but it was That's like, yeah, hilarious. totally not fair to this fictional person for any of our shit. Like very much like, this is raw. There are some feelings we're gonna work through, but I will see you Thursday. Are you still
1: getting pizza? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, exactly, uh, uh, but, I think that's a, but I think that's a life skill At the end of the day a life, yeah. It's a life skill to be able to not just It's a hard one to get It's an uncomfortable one to acquire But I think it's a valuable one Because yeah. I think if you live your whole life Trying to avoid discomfort I think part of The bargain Part of the deal of society Of human beings working together on any level Is there is going to be Discomfort there to some extent Mm-hmm. and we all have to figure out how to navigate that and the, i think the way to navigate that is not to run away from it you have to kind of throw yourself into it and be al- and allow yourself to feel that and not be a, not and you know and i think and i think that's a healthy thing
0: i think so too and i think at the heart of this question there is this thing of like um, we we can hold two things to be true at the same time which is number 1 um, if your group doesn't want to you know do voices or bits like you hear on Dungeons and Daddies or you see on Dimension 20 you are allowed to have whatever play style is comfortable to your group. And then the other side of that also is growth, which is a positive in our human lives, often is accompanied by discomfort. So there's this weird thing where where every single person in their life has to balance these two things of like, I wanna grow, that's gonna mean discomfort from time to time. Also, there are lots of forms of discomfort that I don't, want I don't to. need to necessarily
1: engage in all the time either. Right? right. That's, and that's tough. And by the way, that's tough too, because everything, like I said, you can get pizza on an app. There's so much, <laughs> I can listen to any album right now. I have this thing called Spotify. I can listen to literally any music from any point, any to anywhere. So there's so much of our lives are of, of designed to keep us there and keep us away from discomfort, right? Like you could argue having played around in this world too. It's like the YouTube algorithm is about feeding you things that you agree with that fits yeah. your worldview. Our whole lives are like that. So it almost becomes even harder to find places of like discomfort. And also moments of discomfort feel so much more intense now when everything else can be so on demand too. Uh, I don't know, There's a lot to think about. A lot to oh. think about in the, in the world of uh, Roll of role. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you gotta let chaos rule. Sometimes you gotta let the <laughs> roll the dice decide what happens. Hell you yeah. gotta just go with it. And I
0: think that's something you can do too as a group. Is be like if your group, like if your group is, is having a hard time getting into character, speaking yeah. in character voice. I think what you have to say is like, okay, we are struggling with this. Is this because this doesn't align with our values, or is this because there is a discomfort barrier, but we do want to get on the other side? Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that, that 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 for every individual and for every group, that's a discussion. And I think that there is there is such a thing as a a group accountability of like, hey, we've all agreed that even though we get embarrassed or we find it silly, we wanna start getting more into character. And then it's okay to hold people accountable to overcome their discomfort. Where it's like, you go like, okay, as a dungeon master, I'm holding myself accountable. I am going to do a character voice for this NPC tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you can ask for your PCs, like, "Hey guys, I'm going to try doing this character voice tonight. I'm feeling yeah, self-conscious yeah, yeah. about it. Please don't roast me." And then I think you can ask for that kind of support as yeah, you yeah. deal, as you like, deal with that together. Because I think you know, like, you if that is something that you value, you actually can push through that discomfort to a certain degree and suddenly grow and it'll click and you'll find yeah. something. Um, but like with everybody, every single individual and therefore group has to have that running dialogue for themselves of how much of this discomfort is beneficial growth and how much is just a hassle that I don't wanna deal with.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 by the way, there's no right answer or wrong answer to that too. And you can always find like, right life isn't just binary, this is good, this is bad, this is how it should be done, this is how it shouldn't be done. You might be like, all right, no one wants to do character voices, I won't do that, but here we found something else that's an interesting way of approaching it and that might be its reward in its own right too and that could be be just as cool and you just gotta be open to it, that's all.
0: Hell yeah, I love that. This feels like a very touching uh, question to go out on. I love that answer. You know, guys, this has been Adventuring Academy. Huge thanks to
1: my guest, Freddie
0: Wong. Thank you so much for coming Thank by. you for
1: having me on. It's been a pleasure. I've always wanted to just chat. <laughs> I've, enjoyed, I've always enjoyed our chats, but uh, but I do, uh, you know, listen, I would love to do and anything. I love you creatively. I think you're fantastic. I so think you're fantastic. A pleasure. Uh,
0: would love to throw down and and uh, roll some d 20 sometime let's as well. Let's, let's, let's chuck some polyhedrons, bro. Dude, I want to check, and again, remember folks, uh, it's all about holes and balls and- Holes and balls, think about (laughs) it. Think about it. I guarantee, uh, Freddie and I are about to say goodbye and immediately both order Thai food. I already know what I'm gonna get.
1: yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. got my phone right here, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank
0: you so much for tuning in. This has been Me Academy. We'll see you guys next time, later!